guys, before we begin the show, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Love the show? Let us know. Write a review on iTunes. It takes just a few minutes and it helps us out greatly. We make this show for you, so we want to hear from you. Thanks and have a great morning. Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. Happy Valentine's Day, or should I say Galentine's Day? <laughs> the unofficial holiday you spend with your friends who are women. Do you watch Parks and Rec? Heck yeah, I do. Okay. Uteruses before deuteruses. <laughs> Ovaries before broveries. Thank you so much. I knew we were really good friends. <laughs> Yeah. Today, we're going to be talking about the 1981 Canadian cult classic, My Bloody Valentine. No, we don't mean the band. <laughs> as much as Google wants me to think I'm researching the band, I am not. Apparently, the famous Irish shoegazing, I, this is a term I didn't realize, there's a term shoegazing band. Uh, oh, you didn't know? No, because I don't, I don't know. I don't listen to my bloody Valentine. I don't either. Okay. It's a little much for me. Okay. Well, okay. So here's the thing. Shoegazing, right? So for those of you who are like me who didn't know what that meant, uh, which is probably the three of you out there, (laughs) it's a band (laughs) that just stands there and looks at their shoes while they perform. They don't like go, they don't like rock out kind of thing, I guess. They just stand there and play. (laughs) They're not excited to be playing music. I guess not. So my bloody (laughs) Valentine did not get their name from this film their singer at the time i guess was like hey this is a great name and they're like all right cool and then quote they later discovered that it was a really really crap terrible canadian film unquote i have to disagree um me too so producers andre link and john dunning had an idea they wanted to make a holiday horror movie like the very successful canadian film black christmas Friday the 13th, and Halloween. They pulled out a calendar and went over all of the holidays, and one of them pointed out how no one had made a holiday horror film about Valentine's Day yet. They didn't want anyone to take their idea, so they were like, okay, we got to make this movie super fast. So they approached a very new director called George Mahalka. Is that how you pronounce his name? I think so. Yeah. Sounds right. Okay. So Georgie. They asked him in August of 1980 gave him a buttload of money and a writer to actually write the script and said, hey, George, make this movie. And he had only made one other movie before this. So he was like, okay. They actually asked for it to be called The Secret during production because, again, they didn't want anyone to take the idea of making a horror film Ah, on Valentine's Day. So it was called The Secret. Clever. Yeah, like Blue Harvest for Return of the Jedi. (laughs) the movie was made in nova scotia and it had canadian actors and writers and a canadian director but the film was released in the u.s two days before it was was released in canada in the u.s the film grossed over five million dollars with only a 2.3 million dollar budget so financially it did okay But it wasn't received well by critics. And there are many reasons, I think, for this. (sighs) Mm -hmm. And we're going to touch on those in just a minute. But first, Abby, could you please remind us of the plot? Heck yeah, bud. 
Uh, so a small group of teenagers in a town called Valentine's Bluff want to throw a Valentine's Day celebration, um, but their festivities are deterred by a maniacal killer named Harry Warden, a man who was presumed dead after a mining accident uh, in Henniger Mine that killed the rest of his co-workers. Harry was actually the only survivor because he resorted to cannibalism in order to live, and he fed on the bodies of his dead co-miners. Yum. Mmm. Delicious. Since then, no Valentine's Day celebrations have taken place in the town, partially in fear of Harry Warden and in remembrance for the miners. However, this handful of teenagers totally disregard the warnings of the local elders, and they throw a Valentine's Day party anyway at the mine where the accident happened. So there are serious prices to pay as Harry Warden begins to pick off the townspeople as Valentine's Day approaches because he must have caught word of the celebrations and he's like, what the heck? No. So (laughs) he actually takes the hearts from his victims and places them in heart-shaped Valentine's Day candy boxes and leaves them for the sheriff with these really ominous, gross notes about how he's going to come back and kill everybody. It's romantic. That's all I want for Valentine's Day. (laughs) Listen, boyfriend, get on it. So, like any good horror movie, there is a plot twist and a love triangle between the main female character, Sarah, and two mine workers, TJ and Axel. Uh, TJ, who uh, left the mining town when he was young, returns and reconnects with those he left um, because he misses Sarah so much. And he also reconnects with his dad, who is the town sheriff. Mm-mm. Mayor. Mayor, I'm sorry. Holy cow. Um, so Sarah is currently dating Axel, who is the other main character. Um, and he will stop at nothing to prevent TJ and Sarah from getting back together. He's insanely jealous. So the film comes to a head as the teenagers fight to escape the mine where they're celebrating Valentine's Day and kind of doing an exploration that goes awry. And they're each kind of picked off one by one, <laughs> very uniquely, you know. Yeah, I we'll talk about the kills, but I love the kills in this one. I thought they were great. So the plot twist of the whole film is that Axel is actually acting as Harry Warden. Um, In a flashback, it's revealed that Axel witnessed the murder of his father at the hands of Harry Warden um, because he abandoned Harry in the mine during the accident. And he, like, fled the scene and got out. So that's, like, the crazy plot twist. So as TJ and Sarah are fleeing the mine, one of the tunnels collapses and it seals Axel inside. And the movie closes with him, like, maniacally laughing and calling Sarah his bloody valentine and like saying that he's gonna come back and Harry Warden's gonna get you and he's like singing the song about how Harry Warden (laughs) killed my dad and now I'm taking revenge for some reason yeah so it's wild it's a wild plot Let's so let's get started the Bechdel test yes technically the film does pass I was actually kind of getting worried, though, because Mm -hmm. it takes it a while to pass. A lot of the women in this, uh, when they are alone talking, they're talking about the love triangle between Sarah, TJ, and Axel, or their own boyfriends. Right. And I thought, oh, great. This is going to be one of those that doesn't pass. It passes 
the one I noticed was when Patty and Sarah are in the mines and Hollis's dead body is there mm. and they're talking about, I know he's my favorite. His mustache. Oh my God. He reminds me of my grandfather. My grandfather had oh, a mustache yeah. like that. And Holy he was like cow. a bigger guy like that too. And I was yeah. like, oh my God. Oh, grandpa. Grandpa, Grandpa Jarvis. <laughs> <laughs> so they're in the mine with Hollis's body and... They're talking about whether or not they should stay put or if they should get out themselves and take, you know, the supplies that they need. And eventually Sarah convinces Patty that they need to get a move on. (laughs) So I just want to say, continuing on with like the female characters, I'm kind of mad that Sarah ends up with TJ (sighs) at the end. I am too. Right? Because she acts like she doesn't really like him anymore. And Mm -hmm. I guess there's like, their relationship is sort of forced, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. She seems to really like Axel. I think she kind of felt something for both of them at one point, but but she's like says like to TJ like in the in the, at the party she's like oh I don't really I'm so tired I don't really care anymore kind of mm-hmm. thing, and I'm like, okay, so she doesn't like I don't I just don't feel like she really wanted either one of them at that I point. I think that's correct. And also, TJ is kind of a piece of garbage. Yeah. He, like, swoops in after abandoning her. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I actually love you. And she's like, why didn't you write? Why didn't you tell me anything? And he's like, like, you just left me. Yeah, he was like, well, I was so screwed up over there. And I'm like, hello, it takes five minutes to make a phone call to your girlfriend. I know. What a douchebag. I would have left him, too, at that point. Yeah, same. So, So, besides Axel being, like... A killer? A serial killer. He, like... He was at least treating her right. Kind of justified. (laughs) You know? By the way, can I just say that if your name is Axel, you're either, A, a murderer who's been killing people with an axe (laughs) the whole film, or you're that Kingdom Hearts character with the crazy red hair. Or you're Axel Rose. But every rose has its own. And thorns. TJ is kind of a millennial name too. I feel like TJ and Axel are very millennial names. Um, do you know what TJ stands for? It's Tom Jesse, right? Thomas Jesse. <laughs> That's his name, right? Tom <laughs> Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder he's called TJ. Jeez Louise. <laughs> But she calls him Jesse. Yeah, they call him Jesse throughout yeah. this film. And what's really interesting is that in the remake, they call him Tom. That's different. Yeah, he still has the same name in the remake, but... That's weird. But he's Tom in the remake, oh, Jesse just... slash TJ in the original film. Okay. We'll talk about how terrible the remake is, Yeah. I'm sure. So let's... Speaking of the remake, there's no gratuitous nudity. <laughs> In this version of the film. You mean there's not a full frontal shot of a woman running around a parking lot? For a full 10, 15 minutes? <laughs> you know, <sighs> there's and there really isn't a lot of sex in this. There's definitely people making out. Yeah. There's, there's the implication. Yes, there's the beginning where uh, Axel, as the killer, is about to have sex with this beautiful woman with a heart tattoo on her boob which is not a good tattoo well it looked like someone drew it on you yeah but this it is also like the a 80s tat. yeah it, yeah um <laughs> stick and poke yeah stick and poke <laughs> i there's no like penetration though there's yeah. nothing like that that's ever shown no one's actually naked to the point where like sex is happening mm-hmm. so that is actually kind of interesting because there are so many films, especially in the 80s, especially with the success of Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. it was all about like 
nudity, sex, you know, and that's why Jason was killing people, technically his mother in the first one. I just thought that this was sort of an interesting twist on that because there's no sex really involved. And sex isn't the motivation for the killer. Like killing them because of their sex drive isn't his motivation. So My Bloody Valentine was one of the first examples and possibly the first example. I'm not quite sure. Um, If you guys know, let me know. The first example of a working class horror film. You actually mentioned in the plot summary that they were teenagers. I don't think they are. I think that they're older because they all work. They're all working class citizens. That's true. But they call it, oh, well, I guess you don't really need it to be a school dance in order for it to be like a Valentine's Day dance. I think that there is some level of like, it's a teen slasher, but technically they're not in school. They're all people who have jobs and they work. Right. Um, even the women like the uh, Patty and uh, Sarah work at the department store. Cause when TJ yeah. comes to get her, okay. he, he grabs her from her job. She's wearing her name tag still. Mm-hmm. And the party is on a Saturday so yeah, there's they're all working like during the yeah. day, like on Thursdays and Fridays kind of thing. Oh, and they're like hanging out at the bar and stuff too. So yeah, yeah. That's so they're point. all older. They're all ab- above the age of eighteen at least. Yeah. So this to me, I I noticed this because I thought you know again going back to Friday the Thirteenth and Black Christmas, Halloween. Like, I mean Black Christmas, they're all in college, but they're still going to school. Mm-hmm. Like they're in school, like and and the other. Uh, movies they're all teenagers like working either during the summer or like they're at school like on Halloween yeah uh this one they all they're either either they're married or they're all dating there's no I don't think there's any implication that they are married but you know they easily could be yeah they also don't have children and this is what I thought was really interesting was that there's this fine line between the high school horror movie and the working class horror film and there's like this gap which I also thought was pretty modern was that they're adults but they're going through a teenage slasher type film Mm. but they also don't have children so it's like you know they're either in their 20s or 30s child free so that's true yeah there aren't many there are no kids in this film from what i from what i remember yeah no so i I thought that was kind of interesting it was like this it's a horror film for the child-free working adult yeah and i thought that that was kind of neat the only other film that i can really think of that is similar to that is like silent night bloody night yeah there's no young children in that movie no there's no teens going through a slasher type themed film it's all adults child-free adults that's so weird that's so weird it doesn't i know it's really weird Hey guys, a quick break from this week's episode. We have a new anonymous survey linked in our show notes that takes less than 30 seconds and it would mean the world to us if you guys could give us a hand by completing it. Again, the link is in the show notes and we greatly appreciate it. Now back to the show. So... Going back to the killer's motivation, he's taking revenge on the working man who does his job inappropriately (laughs) rather than a sex-driven youngling. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting, too. It's that 
the the killer his motivation is to punish those who don't do their job right yeah which is so adult yeah <laughs> you know it's weird it's like horror for different stages of life yes like <laughs> there's something for every part of your life it's really it's kind of neat yeah um, Abby, what did you think of the killer in this? Like, there was an interview on the DVD where someone mentioned how he was like Darth Vader meets Norman Bates, which I thought was a great example. What did you think of his appeal? Like, what he looked like? Well, the imagery is really, really haunting just because you can't, like, you can't see his face. Mm-mm. So you're like, oh, it's the mystery of, like, what's under the mask? And if it is Harry Warden, like, what does he look like after being trapped in the mind for so long so that was really cool because it kind of lets your imagination take over and be like oh what's underneath the other thing that was kind of funny but also really added to the creepiness factor was that he he doesn't say a word but you can hear him breathing all the time yes the <sighs> kind of like you're like what the heck what mm-hmm. even? It's so creepy. Yeah, I agree. And they actually used actual mining work clothes that the the mining facility had already. Yeah. So his face is revealed at the end. And a lot of people think that this film didn't do very well because they show who the killer is. Mm-hmm. And unlike Black Christmas and Halloween and I guess the later Friday the 13th, like you don't see what's under the mask. I just don't know if I really agree with that concept because in the first Friday the 13th, you find out it's the mom and it's Mm -hmm. just this old lady, right? Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like that's sort of a lame excuse to have it not work out. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, As previously mentioned, My Bloody Valentine was filmed in Nova Scotia in an actual mining town called Sydney Mines. There were no sets. Like this whole film was, was done at this location. The mine that they filmed in was called the Princess Mine. It went as far as 600 feet below the ocean's surface. Gross. It hadn't been used in quite some time, and it was actually due to be turned into a museum. However, the film crew was able to rent it for filming before it was redone, or so they thought. (laughs) The people of Sydney Mines were so excited that a movie was being made in their mine that they cleaned it up so that it didn't look like a mine at all. Oh, Lord. So the crew had to had to like dishevel the mine again and make it look grimy again. Oh. Yeah, so they had to spend money on making it look like that after, you know, they could have just done it for free. Oh, no. They also had to be careful of lighting because if it goes over, I think, 24 or 25 watts. Oh, God. It could, like, cause sparking. Yeah. Yeah, so they had to make sure that they had a limited amount of light when they were down there. So that kind of, like screwed with like the filming process i guess i can't yeah and let's talk a a little bit about the accents okay so oh heck yeah bud (laughs) you'll also notice how strange all the accents are in the film uh i actually didn't realize this was a canadian film until i started hearing paul kelman's accent and i thought he's not he's not american yeah (laughs) what is he and i couldn't figure it out and then obviously with more research it was i figured it was a canadian film uh, but there's no flags. There's no Canadian flags. And everyone else's accent is pretty unnoticeable. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of boots. Though, there there are. I'm like, oh. Yeah. No, you're right. There absolutely are. But 
they didn't want to make it very Canadian because they wanted to make sure that it was relatable to an American audience because they knew that's where most of their money was going to come from. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But what they did do, and this is what I thought was cool, what they did do was that they had like moose head beer. And that was like, oh, yeah. they like drink all, that was like their drink of choice was the <laughs> moose head beer. Have you ever tried that? No. I haven't either. But aren't the, the cans are like white with a red label, right? Mm-hmm. Before you mentioned that, I thought that it was like Narragansett. I've never heard of that. Narragansett is what they drink in Jaws. It's just, it's just a delightful beer. If you don't want to drink like a heavy beer, just try it. It's delicious. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> So there is an infamous amount of film cut from the theatrical release of My Bloody Valentine. Nine minutes were cut from the film originally. I will say that when I first watched My Bloody Valentine, I I remember thinking it wasn't that bad gore-wise. Yeah. And then I watched it again recently for research for this, and... I chose on my DVD the theatrical version because I was like, okay, well, this is the option that's available to me. I'll just choose it. Mm -hmm. And I watched it and I thought, man, this is kind of lame. There's no like gore, like nothing. Like, and normally I'm not like a gore person, but like, it's weird though for like 80s horror to not really have a lot of gore. Yeah, it lacked it significantly. And I thought, there's something wrong here. And so (laughs) then I went back. Yeah, but seriously, I was like, this isn't right. I went back and I watched the unrated extended version. And I was like, oh, there it is. There's all the gore. (laughs) And it's it's significantly better. Like, it's amazing. The film looks awful because it was had to be it couldn't be restored. It looks the film itself is much better. Like, it just looks like a way, like, it completes it, which is really nice. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just watching a bunch of people running around in a mine, and you're like, Yeah, for sure. I think, actually, I did see the original uncut version first. It was whatever version was on Netflix, and I want to say that it was the extended one. So, it was actually rated X with all those gore scenes, and the MPAA was like, okay, no, you have to make it an R rating. (laughs) And so they cut out all, literally all of the gore and it became an R rating, which if you look at it now, it would never become, it would be a PG-13 movie. Yeah. But at that time it was suitable for- They were like, oh, sorry. Yeah, it was suitable (laughs) for an R rating. So yeah, the kills. So there is, my favorite is the scene where one of the women- gets her head shoved into the shower. Oh, you noose. took my favorite. No, really? <laughs> but that's such a good one. It is. It's great. That was great. And when I watched it without the gore, I thought, where? I was like, huh? I was like, I want to see it. And I feel bad saying that, but I'm like, I want to see that scene. It reminds me of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Like when a what's lot. her face gets puts on the gets put on the hook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she has a, the backless shirt. Yeah. yeah. There's actually a lot of stuff that I feel like borrows from other slasher movies. Oh, definitely. As far as the kills. Absolutely. It's like yeah. a mix. It's a fun bag. It's a fun bag it's of kills. It's a fun kills. party bag of kills. <laughs> so... Another one I really like is the the hot dog one because there's like four. That was hot my do- what even? That was my second choice. Okay, sorry. You talk about the no, hot dog scene. No, no. Okay, all right. First of all, gross because hot dogs are gross anyway. <laughs> and anyone who has boiled hot dogs knows like what it smells like. Mm. 
or like maybe I'm just a weirdo and I was like a freaking weirdo child, but like I would stick my finger in the water and like taste it. <laughs> Because I was just like, hmm, I wonder what this tastes like. I was a curious kid, okay? Okay, yeah, you didn't burn yourself. <sighs> no. Unlike no, that guy. Yeah, and I don't know. I have a really hard time eating hot dogs now because of it. No lie, because his face, like, melts off and, like, his skin kind of peels off. And it reminds me of, like, I'm going to ruin hot dogs for everybody right here, right now. But it reminds me of, like, when you break a hot dog in half and it kind of, like, <laughs> Yeah, I know exactly what you're just talking about. Just the entire, the entire idea of it. It's very tangible to me. And like, I can, I can feel it. Like, <laughs> also his heart gets left in yeah. the freaking pot. And yeah. it's upsetting. Okay. And maybe I like caught a glimpse of it at like the wrong time, but don't they like open the fridge and th- he is like he's in, in there? He's in the fridge and yeah. they don't notice because they're talking about the heart in the pot and it's like, oh. it's right behind you. It's yeah. right behind you. He literally, <laughs> like, nobody sees it and it's like, it's okay. It's so gross and he's got his gross, boily face. Yeah, and- I know. Oh. His hot dog face. <laughs> hot dog face, man. Gross. Oh boy. So those are two of our favorites. There's much more. Yeah. Uh there's uh getting hit in the head with the the nail gun. That, oh my god. That's a good one. Oh, and how he puts Mabel in the dryer. That one. I I thought you were going to mention that one. That one, that especially was, yeah. the extended cut of that is so great because oh my god. she is a mess. She is a mess. She's a mess She's after a, that. A literal hot mess. <laughs> Poor Mabel. I know. She's the sweetest. Uh, she didn't deserve it. She, no. That actress is on Anna Green Gables. What? Which is a Canadian show. Yeah. So let's talk about like this whole idea. Like to end this, let's talk about like what what it is to have like a horror film made on a day that promotes love, lust, and friendship. Like how does this represent us as a people in the horror genre? Oh, dang. That could go so many ways. Absolutely. Because... For a lot of people, sex and, like, lustiness is a very taboo subject. So it's, like, these teenagers are, like, sneaking away to kind of, like, make out. And that's the guy, like, with the shower scene murder, um, the guy leaves and, like, leaves the girl behind. So she's like, oh, yay, he's going to come back and we're going to have the best sex ever. And then she's like, oh, just kidding, we're not. So... It kind of really puts a damper on things. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is what I also love about that is that they're ready to have safe sex, too. Like, yes. he pulls out a condom. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. You can do everything right, but it's still not going to happen but for you. But it's still going to fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, like, I don't know. That's kind of the theme of the whole movie is, like, you could be a working class citizen and try to do your job the best you can, but... You kind of make one little tiny mistake, like leaving somebody in a mine to die. That's a very tiny mistake, but a very <laughs> a huge mistake. Just minor. It's just, just a minor. Just to go to a dance. <laughs> minor mistake. <laughs> I can't believe you made that joke. <laughs> I can. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah so I think that's a great way to put it and I completely agree with you in that sense you know every everything that you ever want in life is just gonna fall apart and die on you adulthood yeah adulthood <laughs> absolutely and sorry yes 
I do want to say like let's let's follow up with like the legacy of this film. Uh, yeah. Quentin Tarantino said that this was his favorite slasher film. That's wild. We talked about like some of the reasons why like the original didn't do well. Like one of them was because of how the killer was revealed at the end. And then another reason was because all the gore was cut out of the mm-hmm. film when it was released in theaters and so nobody really caught on to it. But this is this is my another argument I have for that. Uh the remake, the 2009 remake, My Bloody Valentine 3D, that one also didn't get a remake. And that one had just as much gore and sex as any film really has. Mm-hmm. That one also didn't get remade and I just or or have a sequel. Yeah. So I what do you think is like the real reason why this is one of the rare cases that an original and its remake didn't spawn any sequels? Man, I don't know. The idea of somebody being like sealed kind of in a tomb like a mine like a mine like they're using the mine as a tomb yeah it's sort of like it's sort of like in an Edgar Allan Poe way it sort of like snuffs out any reason for someone to return kind of thing well they thought that Harry Warden was like he was sealed in there and that's how he died and they thought no he was sent to an institution Oh, you're right. He Holy did. crap. Because he didn't die. He got out, and then that's when he killed everyone, and then he was sent to an insane asylum. Yes. Okay, yeah. Wow. And But he died five years ago, and so but they didn't know that. They he, Like, in that time, like 20 years later. Yes. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Oh, man. So, yeah. So, them sealing Axel in there was kind of like the final, like, okay, this is it. This is what it is. No one really knows for sure why. I think that the argument of him being shown at the end is irrelevant because, I mean, even like in the 90s now, like the Scream movies, it's a different killer every film. I don't think that was a reason. I think that the wrong people stepped away from it or the right people stepped away from it. I think Mm -hmm. the director of this film didn't want to make another one. I don't think the producers pushed it. I don't think anyone really pushed for a sequel. And I think that is the real reason why. And I think the same for the My Bloody Valentine 3D. I, I don't think the right people pushed to make another one. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, The Prowler is another film, Rosemary's Killer. Yes. That's another one that didn't get from the 80s-ish time that didn't get a, a, a sequel. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of fell into the same thing where the killers revealed, okay, but I, I don't think that the right people pushed for a sequel and then so after a while it just falls apart and you can't continue onwards do you think it has anything to do with like the artistic integrity of it too is like they didn't want it to be too overdone or become something because really at the time when it came out it was probably just super terrifying in itself yeah well and i think people were terrified by it but uh, again people didn't get to see the gore that was in it true and so i don't you know and that Honestly, maybe that is one of the reasons. Maybe yeah. the lack of gore was a reason why it kind of fell off the bandwagon and nobody really wanted to see another bloody Valentine <laughs> because none of us saw the uncut until 2009 because the only reason they released the uncut extended version was when uh, my bloody Valentine 3D was coming back. Mm. Lionsgate released the DVD and Blu-ray of mm-hmm. the original with the uncut so Hmm. yeah i think just the wrong people were involved in not pushing it forward and i think that the lack of gore was a huge reason yeah that's my opinion i would have to agree with that thanks abby yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Good Morning Nancy. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at Good Morning Nancy, Twitter at Good Morning Nan, and Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. Also, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It's a huge help to us. We would really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, guys, so much, and have a great morning. <laughs>